Hello and welcome to Euractiv's Agri-Food Podcast. I'm Julia Dam. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. And I'm Natasha Fitt. And here's your weekly update on all things agriculture and food in the EU from Euractiv's Agri-Food News Team. This week, livestock leak and an interview with the rapporteur on the pesticide file at European Parliament. So this week, we are going to bring you a little bit of a, a juicy... But before that... Oh, wait, what? We might have... A new feature of this podcast. Last week we had the sound effects. This yeah, week we have a new. Uh... We have the quiz. Okay, going slightly off piece, but I'm listening. Yeah. No, but you actually started, so you have to to tell the option of the quiz. <laughs> oh, the option of the quiz. Yes. Okay, we were discussing this just before yeah. we before we started recording. Uh, there are no option actually. It's just no. The, in a world, the no. Question. The question is, which two MEPs? feature on brussels buses yeah the direction like the like the end of the line yeah the one that shows on the bus you know there are two both of which have to do with well believe it or not agriculture yeah yeah and we're gonna we will tell you at the end at the end so don't skip uh, right to the end listen to us first (laughs) and then you're gonna have your reward okay that's right that's a good way to keep people on like tenterhooks keep them keep them sucked in okay Besides, but besides that, yeah, yeah. As I was saying, we have some something juicy for you this week, which was a juicy leak. Ooh, yeah, one, one leak, effect. one leak per week, basically. <laughs> one leak per week. It's been quite a leaky week, actually. Yeah. Anyway, um, so this particular leak that we're going to talk about um, today is about the Industrial Emissions Directive. Um, so let's let's go back and talk a little bit about what what this is. It's, it's quite a hard. Mm, document to talk about because I think you need so much background knowledge to understand why it's interesting but we'll try we'll do our best to bring that to yeah. you so Please bear with us even if it sounds technical it's actually super interesting and exactly and exactly a, a little caveat for you I promise it's interesting so there is this proposed overhaul of the industrial emissions directive uh, which was unveiled by the European Commission back in April now this aims to reduce harmful emissions coming from industrial installations now the dramatic part, the controversial part of this, is that this scope is being expanded to include some of the largest livestock farms in the EU, which of course caused a bit of controversy from, from stakeholders. The question being, you know, at what point do you cl- like classify a farm as industrial? When are you industrial? There's obviously a cutoff point that has to be put within this. Super um, controversial association, industry and, uh, and farming. Exactly. And so everyone was w- very worried. A lot of livestock farmers, there's a lot of concern about this. Where, you know, where is this cutoff point going to be? And to get this cutoff point, this threshold, the commission proposed this idea of livestock units, um, which is a bit of a complicated term. Basically, it's kind of revolves around a, a basic unit of what? livestock is and it's based on cattle yeah so different amounts of poultry add up to one livestock unit um and the commission came up with this figure with of 150 livestock units so they're basically saying that beyond this point your farm is considered industrial it's we're kind of you know you're going to get basically going to fall under this directive yeah and they're going to try and slash your emissions hope you're with me so far <laughs> it's also good to point out that some livestock sectors were already 
um, comply. Mm. Like, I mean, they, they had to comply with the rules of the industrial emission directive Already. even before the revision. Yeah. Uh, not many, though. It was like 2%. And, and yeah, yeah, I think 4% of four, the pig yeah. farms. Something like this. Yeah, 2% uh, so, of all livestock farms yeah, in, yeah, yeah. in the EU. So the idea, the ambition of the Commission is to increase this percentage in order mm. to embrace uh, more farm and uh, to force this farm in respecting the uh, the general ambition of the industrial emission directive which is carbon emissions from uh basically industrial installations yeah indeed. yeah and so the commission put forward its 150 livestock units threshold this was the point that they say this is where we think the cutoff should be and so the commission was saying that this adds up to around 13% of livestock production across the across Europe across the EU generally um, and then there was a bit more of a, you know, sector specific. So it was 18% of pig farms, 15% of poultry farms, 10% of cattle farms. Yeah. Right. So this was the, these were the numbers that we were getting from. And the talks at the, at the moment were all around this percentage. Yeah. 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 It was the also, it's important because it's the argument for saying, like, Sing, uh, Environment Commissioner Sinkovic's basis, a lot of his argumentation around this commission proposal on these numbers, because he's saying it's not that high of a percentage of farms, but it's a high percentage of emissions that we're getting through this threshold. So, yeah, it's a, it's key to justifying the Commission's proposal as well. Exactly, exactly, because that was always the argument put forward. You know, this is this is the figure, and this is the percentage. You know, the percentage of farms that are going to be impacted by this. Except, let's come back to the juicy details, because as they like to say in Brussels, the devil is always in the details. Um, Actually, we managed to get our hands on a leak this week um, that showed that this uh, this figure was based on data from 2016, which in and of itself is not necessarily a problem if that if that data is still reflective of the current situation. But there is actually more recent data from 2020 um, that was not able, and I will say this caveat point here, it was not able to be factored into uh, to the Commission's proposal because it wasn't verified at the time they were doing the impact assessment. So this 2016 data is what's been used as the baseline um, of this of their impact assessment. They're still undergoing the final still undergoing. Yeah. So the Eurostat haven't published yet this uh, figure. Mm hmm which means, uh, again, there's, there's no way to put the blame on the commission on this. No, but the lack of, you know, the lack of the latest information has not stopped policymakers still going ahead with the proposal, right? You know, the fact that they haven't had the most recent data, they're still, they're still forging ahead, basically. Um, so let's, we got our hands on this presentation that was a commission presentation to the working parties uh, in the council. The DGM. DG, exactly. Yeah. And this... DGM is the environmental service, of uh, which is the one who's leading the, the proposal, the who drafted the proposal, and the, the leading service at the commission on this dossier. Mm -hmm. And this presentation basically puts side by side. It basically models this 150 livestock units uh, threshold, as well as other thresholds based on the 2016 data and based on the 2020 data. And what it shows is that actually, once you factor in 2020 data, this percentage of impacted farms changes radically. I mean, radically. Um, so we're talking here um, an increase from 18% uh, from for pigs to 61% of pig farms, uh, from 15% of poultry farms to 58 
5% of poultry farms, uh, whereas cattle, on the other hand, rise uh, is only a, a, a rise of 2.5%, so up from 10% to 12.5%. And what happened in the meantime, like from 2016 to 2020? Yeah, well, I mean, I think this is like a large part of the really interesting, you know, it, it shows basically a massive consolidation of the farming sector. So a massive concentration, uh, moving, you know, basically consolidating small farms into bigger farms. So of course here, we're talking about the percentage of the impacted farms, right? There's less farms number wise, but in terms of the percentage of farms that were being impacted by this proposal, it's bigger. Yeah, yeah. That's essentially the crux of the matter. Indeed, indeed. Again, as, as Natasha said, if you look at the numbers, you have, uh, fewer farms that will be impacted using 2020. Like by number. By number. Yeah. But at the same time, you have more than uh, a half of the, the percentage of the entire sector, which means, um, again, the socioeconomical impact is huge for the farms. So because it, it, it's all about the how the sector, you're basically revolutionizing the sector mm. by imposing new rules, uh, new even for instance if you think about even job jobs that needs to be created in a sector in order to comply with certain rules i mean the uh, administrative burden and so on hmm. and i mean in and of itself that's fine if the commission decides this is the way you know that it's fine this is they want they still want to bring 61 percent or whatever um under the threshold it actually adds up to a 20 percent overall of all you eu livestock farms when you take into account mixed farms things like that but you know it's arguably a bit disingenuous to try and sell your 150 you know the, the 150 livestock threshold yeah. using these percentages and then actually the reality is it's a different amount of percentage that's going to be impacted essentially if you factor in 2020 data and Actually, what's an also an interesting point is that um, as this is a directive, there will be a two-year transitional period that will be allowed before it's entering into force. So even in the even if we manage basically to get a deal sealed in 2023, the directive won't actually be implemented until 2025. So if the data is still based on 2016 data, that data is going to be nearly a decade old. So I think that was quite. It's quite it's quite revealing. It's quite interesting of the process that this has gone through, and you know. Uh, it shows just how much the details matter when you're talking about these of course. files. These Particularly when, files. You, when you talk about thresholds and, and baseline. Uh, because in the end, uh, I mean, without commenting on uh, on the impact itself on the livestock sector, from the methodological point of view, you have the main tool, which is the livestock unit, um, the main tool to apply the condition set up in the in the revision of the industrial emission, emission directive uh, that it performs quite well when it comes to cattle in mm. the sense that even a changing uh, farming scenario um, the impact is basically the same let's say yeah uh, while if you change the factors in other sector like poultry and 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 pigs in particular pigs farming uh, it it gives you a completely different outcome, mm. which means that probably it's not particularly fit for this. Uh, in the end, I mean, it's a threshold that you decide um, basically when you're creating the the policy, no? Mm. So it's not science. It's just uh, when you're going to put the bar. It's also interesting because, you know, when, when we're talking with different um, commission officials, 
about their reasoning behind this. You know, they always talk about the need to tackle cattle because cattle is the main is the, methane yeah. emitter. But actually here we were talking about yeah. impacting mostly poultry and pig farms. Yeah, there's always the reference on the global methane pledge uh, reached mm. in uh, in, uh, in Glasgow two years ago. And uh, the reference is always, as you said, on uh, cows. On cows. Mm. Uh, and again, it seems that the, the, the livestock unit uh, is, is working with cattle eh? mm. because it, it seems uh, it's also true that the, the cattle farming didn't experience the same level of consolidation and uh, uh but yeah absolutely this uh it's something that should be taken into consideration and we are sure that uh gonna have an impact on the on the current we've already, had, we've already had quite <laughs> quite a lot of reactions about it yeah, yeah yeah yeah. can't necessarily speak about them but um yeah let's just say there was a fair amount of backlash to this and uh <laughs> and the story is not over we'll definitely be revisiting this um but do check out the article on your active So we promised you guys that we'd reveal the names of the MEPs that are on the bus lines. Uh, we, we said we'd do it at the end, but actually we're going to do it now because we want to keep you on your toes a bit and avoid that people skip to the end. To, yes, uh, you. Yeah. I like it. Yes. Yeah. I, I've made it's a good teacher. Very good. <laughs> so who, who uh, on the bus Drum roll. I'll do the drum roll. Oh, yeah. Very good drum roll. Thanks. We downgraded the sound effects from real sound effects. Hey, can you downgrade? Cash. This is an upgrade. <laughs> I did them myself. All right, Yulia, who is it? <laughs> so the first uh, MEP is a conservative one from the EPP, and it's Daniel Buda. Aha. So we have a bus line with the terminus. I don't remember the number. Buda. I don't remember the number. But, either, but it's it's, it it's next there. to the to Schumann. Schumann is the is where the Berlaymont is. Berlaymont is European Commission. <laughs> It's, and we see this all the time. Yeah. It says this is the 56 bus. It has 28 stops departing from Schumann, ending in Buda. <laughs> there we go. All kinds of uh, good facts for you guys today. But, <laughs> but the other one. So we're all about having balance, being politically balanced. So the, other, the second bus line MEP comes from the Greens. And it's mm. uh, and she's uh, an Austrian one. She's called Sarah Wiener. So there's a bus line with. Wiener is the terminus. That is. And I... 95. 95. You know, it's off the top of your head. That's so impressive. It's, it's 95. Because it's the, oh. it's the one from... Uh, and this one, it's uh, it, it passed through um, Europe, the European Parliament. You can take it I from... I do have so much yeah. knowledge of this. Okay. Great. Yeah, you're right. It's the 95 bus. I just looked it up. I told you. From the Grand Place. It also... Wiener. Yeah. It oh, also yeah. arrived in uh, Beaubé, the one of the University of Brussels. Wow, it was for a long time. No, I'm not gonna say because I, mean, I was supposed to say something about where uh, Natasha lives, but I'm not please don't. <laughs> I'm not giving this kind of hints, but great. Okay, um, <laughs> and Again, talking about Wiener, this, this leads us in nicely because uh, we have Sarah Vina as our guest today. As our... indeed, yeah, indeed. she's um, having a lot of fun well a lot to do uh, lately as the rapporteur so the MEP in charge of the um, reform on the EU's pesticides legislation so this is one of the other very hot and contentious topics after we already talked about one contentious topic with the emissions directive this is another very political one and mm -hmm. Saravina is um, the MEP in charge for the envy committee so the environment uh, committee in the European parliament 
of this legislation. Um, and recently, it has the competence on this file, although it's a bit more complicated than that. It's yeah. a bit more complicated than that. We've had some quite some drama going on with behind the scenes, don't we, Natasha? I love some drama. Love me some drama. Well, I said it was a leaky week, and so this is the other the other leak that I was referring to. Um, but yeah, there was so basically there were two letters this week. Actually, this was kind of I've not really seen this much this much drama with uh this is this is quite juicy as well between it? agriculture uh, no not between yeah. agri and envy there's always drama between yeah, agri and yeah. envy but the, the way that they went about it was quite interesting i thought basically there were two letters from the chairs of uh, each of these so the agriculture uh, committee of the european parliament and also the environment committee so we're talking here about norbert Linz for, for agriculture, agriculture and pascal kampha there are no bus lines with the name of kampha and sad and, uh, i know Linz. that would be great i'd be really into that yeah. i bet they do exist somewhere if anyone finds a bus lane a bus line anywhere that ends in Linz or Kampfer. I'd really appreciate that. Uh, this is an, an appeal. An appeal to our listeners. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, there were these two letters, both addressed to President Metzler, Roberta Metzler, the president of the parliament. And basically they're fighting over the sustainable use of pesticides regulation. Um, so there was this proposal from the Agri Committee to have this joint hearing. Um, and this was supposed to I was supposed to look at some gaps to do with it's about productivity, basically, and how it would impact productivity um, and basically trying to fill some gaps in the impact assessment. Um, But Canfound wrote to Metzler saying, absolutely not. (laughs) We're in charge here. We're not doing this. Um, You know, the the Agri Committee has competence on, on only one part of the SUR, which is about integrated pest management. And the amendment and the common agricultural policy that will bring uh, <laughs> the part about cap basically yeah. Yeah. that will allow integrated pest management to be funded with the common agricultural policy exactly. measures yes. fund the money so this is the area that they have some space on the agri committee a tiny little area yeah but big enough to cause a ruckus to yeah, quote your favourite word and um, so yeah Basically, he said, you know, this is not this is not your area. No, this is for us. Didn't want the joint the joint hearing. Also threw some shade about there being not no joint timetable, about Agri not working together. I think what was the word that he used? Um, not reflecting the principle of good cooperation between the parliamentary committees. Ooh. And then Lynn's you decided, speak, that's quite the that's quite the side joke. Yeah, it's quite like a British like I will send a letter you know, kind of like a very strongly worded, you can feel the sentiment behind it. And then Norbert Linz wrote back, well, wrote to Metzler as well about the same theme, actually on Valentine's Day. Whoa. There's no love lost between these these committees, I have to say. Um, Basically attacking back and uh, saying that the Agri-Committee wants to move forward on this, but there's loads of uncertainty being created by the Environment Committee. Um, there's a lot of strain on good cooperation. And the and to bring Sarah Vina into the mix, uh, which leads us on nicely to our interview, um, he also directly bashed Sarah Vina, who, as we said, is the rapporteur for the Environment Committee, for already publishing her draft report um, on this file without actually consulting or having any kind of like consultation with the Agri Committee. So actually in this letter, he he actually goes for directly for this. Um, so quite interesting to hear. It's a pretty timely moment to hear what Sarah has to say uh, about her about her dealings on this file, about how things are going and her feeling for, for how the cooperation will work in the future. So let's hear what she has to say. Okay, Sarah, so 
In your view, in the draft report that you tabled for the the position of the parliament, what are the, let's say, three most important changes? I know there's a lot in there, but let's go with three three most important changes that you made compared to the original commission proposal and what's kind of the idea behind him? Can you walk us through that a bit? The three more important points is first, firstly, re reduce highly hazardous pesticides by 18% instead of only 50% as the commission has proposed. This is so important because uh, there are over 50 so-called candidates for substitution in the EU. And these candidates for substitution are on the list of replacements since 2015, uh, but nothing happened so far. And these are pesticides, uh, they are carcinogenic, can make us un un infertile, affects children development. Uh, so these uh, chemical substances, they are very harmful to our health, even in the smallest quantity. Uh, like endocrine disruptor, and it has a huge uh, impact of our environment. Um, the scientists know that they are highly hazardous, and I think it is just fair to reduce this by 80%. Uh, but they are still being used, even though there are alternatives. Difenoconazole, this is a fungicide, for example, is a dangerous uh, fungicide used on apple farms. You can replace it by baking soda easily. Um, so this would be my first point. Secondly, make integrated pest management work. In the last suit from 2009, uh, it was already made mandatory, but it did not work. Member states uh, didn't make any efforts and didn't reduce pesticides and didn't make uh, the um, IPM define and mandatory. So we made, um, we made a clear cascade. What does mean integrated pest management? What is the definition? And it has to be mandatory. So um, so it could be crop rotation, monitoring or mechanical methods. But be exhausted before chemical substances come into play. I think this is very fair and very understandable that we should first try all uh, tools we have and just in the end use uh, chemical pesticides. Um, the third that point is, uh, was a really uh, outcry uh, in whole Europe. It, uh, um, it leads to sensitive areas. The Commission proposal, uh, I think, was protected too much landscape areas. Let's put it like this. Um, but uh, so much sensitive areas that uh, it would be not possible to do agriculture in a lot of member states because they had too much protected areas. It's also a question of definition. Uh, we cannot ban pesticides over such a large area. It has to be reasonable and practical. Um, so we want that agriculture is possible in a protected areas. So uh, therefore, we, we propose uh, the following relaxations. Nitrate-sensitive areas should be expanded. Uh, from the ban. In addition, biopesticides should remain allowed where nature conservation is not the primary concern. 
And so in national parks and public playgrounds and in cities, pesticides are to remain banned elsewhere, we are making compromises. It's about working with agriculture, not against it. Okay, so you already mentioned a few elements like this 80% tar target for the most hazardous pesticides that definitely make your draft uh, much more ambitious on many issues than the original commission draft um, and certainly much more ambitious than the position of many member states and also many other political parties in the European Parliament. So how optimistic are you that this um, this proposal that you're making will be accepted both within the parliament and the other political groups and also by the member states. Where do you expect pushback there? The lobby, the agricultural lobby. And uh, I have to say all, all right wing from the from the very right wing to the right wing are against from the first second against any pesticides reduction. They don't want to work, they don't want to negotiate, they don't want to give any uh, compromises, they don't want to do with um, a time schedule. So uh, it's not about few things they, they mention, yeah, this has to be better or this is worse, but they don't propose anything uh, who is help, uh, which of uh, what Uh, what could, could be helpful. So, uh, but it's not about what I believe. Uh, it's about to do the right thing and then to find a compromise uh, and to negotiate with everybody. I'm the rapporteur from the whole European Parliament, but I see myself in the first, uh, first, first hand, I see myself as a, um, a MEP from the European folk and to do uh, better for the environment, for our health and for the people who don't want to eat uh, poisoned food in the whole chain. It's very simple. And how we do that, how we get the, the very important games for our surviving and for our children, that's the question. Maybe there are a lot of ways. I propose now, I think, a very um, practically robust draft uh, changed a lot more like the ha uh, harmonized risk indicator because it wasn't practical. We just go uh, measure tons and not uh, the grade of poisoning. Uh, this has to be changed and then we have to help, of course, the farmers in this transition also with money, also with knowledge, also with examples. Um, so there's a lot more in this uh, draft and I hope that people uh, who knows that we don't have another chance than to get free of this really uh, expensive and energy um, loaded pesticides and mineral fertilizer to have a better future. So simple. All right. So one quite interesting um, aspect of your proposal that we haven't talked about, of your draft, is this idea that you introduce of a tax on hazardous pesticides that should help finance um, kind of the implementation of this, uh, of this law. So can you talk us through how you envisage this a bit? Yes, I think uh, we have uh, the law should, uh, should uh, say, and it's like this, that extended producer responsibility uh, uh, should um, pay for their damage. Yes, uh, for the very first time, they would be asked to pay the bill for the damage their products do. 
this is a very important step to take because these companies make profits from products while ignoring health and environmental risk associated with them. Uh, who pays uh, all this uh, this damaging? It's the society. It's the uh, it, but it's also the future. Um, so I think it would just fair to say uh, who who damage our environment, our health has has to pay for it. Also for the for the sickness for the farmers, there is uh, over 1.3 million poisoned farmers from pesticides. Uh, also, um, um, there are different cancers like uh, non-Hodgkin lymphoma and also Parkinson. There are, uh, uh, how do you say in France and Italy, they know that they can be paid because uh, it, by farmers and gardeners because it's uh, known that it can come from pesticides. And this is increasing. So Parkinson doubled in the last uh, 20 years and it goes on and on. So we have to react and we have to ask ourselves who is in, uh, responsible for that? If you want to put more dangerous and more pesticides in our environment, in our body, in our milk, breast milk, in our urine, in our blood, I mean, at least uh, you have to be aware that you can't do uh, anything and pay, let pay the others. So I think this is very reasonable to, to take uh, this uh, point. And further, we need money for the transition. And why not let paying the industry, he, he do harm. So that's all from us this week. This week, the AgriFood podcast was produced by Euractiv's AgriFood news team. That's Strada Fortuna, Natasha Foot, and Julia Dam with the technical support of Abby Chiori. You can also find this podcast on all major streaming platforms that includes Amazon, Apple, Spotify and Stitcher. Be sure to subscribe to our newsletter so you don't miss the latest agricultural news from the EU. I'm Gerardo Fortuna. Thanks for listening and see you next week.